and I grew up in Alaska. So I think I'm I think I'm on pretty solid ground here. Your neck doesn't really get cold. So I think scarves and turtlenecks are garbage. What it is, what it do, this is Rambling, your weekly Rams podcast that gives you insight of the team and news from around the NFL. I'm your host and team reporter, Serena Morales, coming at you from Agora Hills, California, as we head into week six. The Rams are 3-2 and two after a tough loss on the road to the Seahawks. Joining me today, he's a three-time Super Bowl champion, a former NFL O-lineman. He was my co-worker at ESPN as an NFL analyst, and now he's in the booth calling games on Fox. He's even cooler because he's on Ballers. And he also put the most delicious chili sauce known to mankind on supermarket shelves all over Denver. And my father, Angel Morales, says thank you. Mark Schlereth, a.k.a. Stank. (laughs) (laughs) that. That's an introduction right there. That's awesome. Serena, how are you? It's great to be with you, man. I know. I'm so happy you're here because you, this is where my worlds collide, right? Like, we both work at ESPN, and now we're back, and you're going to be calling the game for the Rams-49ers game this Sunday. Uh, the 49ers, they are undefeated right now. They're 5-0 and after their win against the Browns, and everyone's sort of been talking about this. Are the fi- 49ers the real deal, or are the Browns the Browns? <laughs> I mean, I you know, I think I think there's a little bit of both. Uh, I think there's some truth in both of those things. I think you know, I think it's it's interesting. It's it's I, human nature says to me that it's much easier to deal with disappointment and it's much easier to deal with uh, failure than it is success because success ends up going to your head and so many people get sated by whatever success they have and the expectations that they have. So. You know, I think there was a lot of a lot of expectations on the Browns. I think they believed and, and they bought into all the hype. Remember Baker Mayfield saying, "Hey guys, the hype is real in the preseason and all this, that, and the other." Uh, it's one thing to be hype; it's another thing to go out and do your job. And I think that's been a big part of what's gone on in Cleveland: the over hype, the over. You know, we've got so many weapons, and we don't even know how to use them all. Um, at the at the end of the day you still have to block and tackle people. That's really what this game comes down to. I, and I'll go back to last week. You show me the team that physically dominated a lot of scrimmage, I'll show you the team that won 90% of the games last week. So I think that's part of the deal about the, you know, about the Cleveland Browns as far as San Francisco is concerned. I think, one, Kyle Shanahan's a, a hell of a football coach. Um, two, they have a great system, being that you know I played in that system for a very long time. I understand that system very well. But I think when you look at them in totality, they were minus a few uh, pieces last year. They had a bunch of injuries last year. They're healthier now. Obviously, losing use check, their fullback doesn't help. But they're healthier now. And they added pieces on defense that really have put them over the top. And so I think they're an outstanding football team um, with with a great system and a lot of incredibly versatile players. I need mean, to your point, you know, I've I've always talked to Akeem Talib about this. Even last year, you know, you talk about our secondary and our defense on the Rams and he's always just like, Man, it's on paper. Now we have to prove it and it seems like the Browns are kind of struggling to be like, We have it on paper and we can't seem to get it together. So I agree with that point. And going to that, like what happens to now the Rams, right? The Rams have two losses back to back. 
does does it matter, Mark? Like, does it depend on the team? Like, it's obviously Sean McVay, a very great leader when it comes to this team. Like, so does it matter? Should we be worried? Well, I think you always, you know, I, you always get worried. And, and like you talked about, and Keith Salib talked about being on paper. Like, I said this all the time throughout my career. If the games were played on paper, I'd have spent a lot less time on an operating table. <laughs> uh, they're just not, you know. And so you've got to be able to go out and you've got to be able to execute what coaches are asking you to execute. And ultimately, to me, regardless how good you are and how talented you are, you've got to play for one another. You've got to be willing to, to sacrifice for one another and go out there and play for one another and sacrifice for one another. So, you know, there's a lot of interesting dynamics that go into that. You know, you go to, to Seattle and you lose a game by one point to the Seahawks in Seattle. Like, that's an incredibly tough environment to play. And I look at stuff like that, and I think, I know there's no moral victories in the NFL, but... To come out of there and, and to play as well as you did and to lose a game by one point and you miss a field goal, I think, at the very end of that game that would have won it, that says a lot about you as a football team. So I look at your record at 3-2, and two and, and I get the Bill Parcells, you're right, you are what your record says you are, but there's some extenuating circumstances in there. And I still look at that team. I look at the coaching of that team with McVay and with uh, Wade Phillips and and – you know, I look at the personnel and the roster that they've developed, and um, and I'm not sitting there going, "Oh, oh, three and two, and boy, everybody else is surging." Um, I, I don't worry about that right now. It's it's really how you play in the second half of the season. You got to give yourself a chance in the first half, but how you play down the stretch is really what's going to matter. And I think this is a damn good football team, um, and so I don't get too concerned about them sitting at, at three and two. Um, like, oh, goodness, you know, the sky is falling. They're not going to be in the playoffs. I think this is a good football team. Well, and even in the loss to Tampa Bay, you're driving down the field with a chance to, to tie that game up yeah. there at the end. I mean, I know the score says otherwise just because it was a scoop and score, but I think those – you think those are important to show that you can – you have the the capacity to execute in those situations. And I'd ra- would you rather lose those games now than yeah. later in the season when it when it really counts? Yeah. Right. I, I think that's I think that's part of it. I really do. I think the other thing is is that you have to know. I mean, how many points they give up against Tampa Bay? I mean, it was a, a, a ton of points, right? A lot. A lot. For, yeah. Over 40. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the other thing that that says to you, and these are great coaching moments, is guys, hey, guys, it doesn't matter how talented we are. If we don't play with good technique, if we don't play – from a leverage standpoint, with the proper technique, the proper leverage, uh, you know, if we don't play the run, if we're just pass rushing on every down, if we're doing those things that we have had a propensity to do in the past, that's good enough to get your ass whipped. And and those are those are teachable moments. You know, you hate to lose games, but I don't know about you guys. Like I've never lost. I've never learned anything about myself during the good times. Right. I was too busy patting myself on the back. You know. <laughs> it's, it, it's during the hard times where you actually kind of are reflective, self-reflective. And you're like, man, like we're not good enough to not play with good technique. We're not good enough to overcome multiple penalties. We're not good enough. And, and honestly, here's the difference between college football and professional football. Nobody's good enough to do it. Mm. Like the, the talent level is so equal. You know, I always fascinated by these spread quarterbacks who come out. And in the and they get into the NFL, you know, and they've run nothing but spread in college. Like if you play for Oklahoma, 
you know, in your Baker Mayfield, there was two times during the year that you played against equal talent. And, you know, you threw four slants and a couple of bubble screens. And of those six plays, one of them went 75 yards for a touchdown. And you were on that particular play one for one for 75 yards and a touchdown. In the NFL, that gets tackled for a three-yard gain. And you're like, <laughs> now what? Right? right? I mean, it's, it's different. Like, Akeem Tlaib is a different animal. Yeah. Than ninety nine point nine percent of the other guys that play in college football, he's like it's it's completely different, you know. And so, I think you have to understand how close how close every team is from a talent perspective. Now, coaching is different at every team and every level, and guys, you know how they develop over the course of a season is different for every team. But the bottom line, from a just a pure talent perspective. If we line up our 53 players against your 53 players, you know, everybody's going to be pretty close to being equal when it comes to 40 times and bench press tests and all the other garbage that, you know, that we like to kind of evaluate. The bottom line is, is, you know, how do you play together and how do you execute and how do you play the game? You know, to me, what really is a difference maker from the neck up. I always see like these games and like when guys are, you know, a, a loss is a loss, but it's sort of like, you know, when you have an argument with a significant other and you're like, oh man, and you could either break up and it doesn't work out and you end up with a very losing record and coaches get fired and whatnot. Or it's like, man, this is great. I'm so glad we worked our differences out. Like even just seeing uh, Todd Gurley, you know, give a pat on the shoulder and walked out of the tunnel after the Seahawks game with Greg Zerline, our kicker who missed that field goal. You know, it's just like those moments of like, okay, like let's go get some nice dinner and, and talk about things and work on the relationship There's a little bit. There's always two roads to every solution. <laughs> right. And one of them's a lot less fun and, yeah. and workable. Right. Like, you know, it comes right. down to that. Yeah, I think I think that that growing together and relying on one another and, and you know and, and supporting one another is you know it's a really important aspect of of what you do as a professional athlete and as a professional football team and you know and and I mean it, losing stinks um, I get that but there are there are different levels of it and you know I, I remember in my career uh, when Kansas City and the Chiefs were really good and if you went to Kansas City. And you played in that environment with that crowd noise and that good football team. And you came away with even a loss, but it was like a, a really close game and it was a hard-fought game. I remember walking out of there going, damn, we're good. Like, we're really good. Should have won that game. We didn't. But, you know, and, and, and not that you get a moral victory at the end of the season or you get a, you know, a little asterisk by it and it says, hey, good job. But you feel confident in what you're doing. And, and the process that you're going through. I think that's important. Yeah. And I mean, you just look at, like, I was thinking about this today. Look at the Washington Redskins mm -hmm. and how dysfunctional that organization is. I mean, it's just complete dysfunction. Since Daniel Snyder bought the Washington Redskins, that's the first team. I cut my teeth with the Washington Redskins. And I'm sick about what they are as a franchise right now. Just fired their coach, the first one to fire a coach this season. You look at that, you look at that, that coaching roster. They had Matt LaFleur, head coach of a Green Bay Packers team that has one loss. They had Sean McVay, the coach that coached in the Super Bowl last year that has two losses on the season right now. Kyle Shanahan was on that staff, who's at 5-0 and right now for the Niners. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at that staff and you're like, how did you not recognize under Mike Shanahan that you had a great coaching staff here and that these guys 
were all going to get their opportunities and they were all under your roof. And yet you don't recognize like that leadership and those leadership qualities. It's important to understand, you know, what they bring. I, I met with Sean. I met with Sean McVay. The first time I met with Sean McVay, he's, I think at the time he was, he just turned 30 head coach of the Rams. And I met with him. I was calling a game. I think it was in Jacksonville, maybe. And um, anyhow, long story short, it was his first year as the Rams coach. And I walked out of that room after meeting with him, thinking to myself, I've accomplished nothing in my life. <laughs> like that guy, like seriously, you talk to him. Oh, yeah. He is I feel one, the same he way. Is one of, <laughs> right. He's one of the, the sharpest, like most energetic. I always said this to my kids when they were young. I, like, there's two types of people in this world. The, the people who energize the room when they walk into it and who energize the room when they walk out of it. <laughs> Be the guy who energizes the room when he walks into it, right? When Sean McVay walks into the room, the energy level of that room increases tenfold. And he, I mean, he said, like, to me, he was like, one of my first hire was Wade Phillips because I know that guy has more, he's forgotten more about football than I know. And I need that kind of expertise and that kind of, like, I value those kind of being able to exchange ideas and be able to learn from, from one of the best coaches in the history of this game. Like those things are important to me. That, that, that's not, you know, fake humility. That's understanding, you know, the things that you don't know and that you are going to have, you know, growing issues in your first year. And I just find, I find him fascinating as a football coach, just as a person in general, I find him fascinating. I concur. And it's actually funny that you mentioned that. Another guy that he kind of keeps close to him is actually Andrew Whitworth, who is still playing for the team after a gajillion years, a.k.a. 200 games. This is his 200th game he just played in. Uh, you know, for you as a former O-lineman, like what what do you think is Andrew Whitworth's secret? Because I, I, I always see him as the Redwood Forest because he's this tall but like very solidly built human. Um, but I saw, you know, on, on film the other day, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, but it was like him running across to make a block for Brandon Cooks. The film was in slow motion and somehow Whitworth looked like it was normal <laughs> speed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he, you know, there's some of those guys who are just, freak shows you don't play as long as that it's not it's two things one you have to be touched by the hand of god athletically which he has been he's a phenomenal athlete a wonderful football player um the other thing is it's got to be important to you Mm. and you know you've got to you've got to understand what you're doing is important you've got to be willing to make those sacrifices that he makes um and I, i just He's another one of my favorite. You guys have a lot of guys on your on your roster that are my favorite guys, and mm-hmm. he's one of them because he plays at an exceptionally high level, and um, and you know he he makes those sacrifices that he needs to make. He's always downfield throwing blocks and doing those things. Um, an effort guy that that is an incredible football player. And the other thing is you have to have uh, a football intelligence. You can't because as you as you grow in age. Um, you know, your, your skills, your athleticism and your athletic skills diminish. And if you're not constantly growing in your knowledge of the game, your football acumen, um, there comes a point in time where you can no longer play at a high level. Yeah. And so for him to continue to play at a high level means that he has continued to grow mentally in this game, to understand, to understand this game. And, and 
And that, to me, is what sets him apart. That's the difference between being an old guy who's still playing at a high level and being an old guy who's talking about the game. Yeah. Um, because those guys, you know, most, of the, most of the guys don't get to 11, 12, 13, 14 years because most of the guys rely, or a lot of the guys rely on athleticism. And when that athleticism dwindles and diminishes, um, you haven't put in the time kind of above the shoulders time that it takes to really understand this game. And those are the guys who last for long, for, you know, those are the guys who last for a dozen plus years. The guys who really study, the guys who really understand where their help is, how they can help themselves out, how to create leverage, how to funnel guys into a position of weakness. Like those are the guys who understand the game, um, the X's and O's kind of above the X's and O's. Those are the guys who last for a long time. And Andrew's certainly one of those guys. I could totally see him being like a football analyst uh, in the future or a football coach, but it's funny. So some other news from around the NFL, we've got a, we go from an older guy playing football to a younger guy who's now heading from retirement out of retirement to become a Fox analyst, uh, Rob Gronkowski. So, like, he's not retired, right? Stink, if you're, if you're, yeah. you come out of retirement, but you're not in football pads. Um, how do you think he will do as we speak about Andrew Whitworth and his wisdom? How do you think Gronk's going to do uh, in the booth? What's the hardest part for you going from pads uh, to a microphone? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think that you, you still have to be, you've got to be a great student of the game still. And you got to work, you've got to work at that. And I mean, you know, being an analyst is, is, you know, part of it is having fun and being able to explain the game and do all those things. Um, you know, and, and bottom line is you got to work at it. You know, you got to study, you got to prepare, you've got to just to spend the time. So, um, and there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of guys that have made enough money to where, you know, they want to jump into broadcasting. And they jump into it and they realize, oh, shoot, this is actually a lot more work than I really want to put in. For real. Um, and to, to be good at it, you have to, you know, you have to work at it. You have to spend the time. Um, and so, uh, you know, Gronk, I don't think Gronk will have any issue being an entertainer and, uh, and having a good time. Um, and then it just comes down to, do you want to put in the work? And, and that's, you know, I can't answer that question. Only he can answer that question. But um, I have no doubt that... Gronk plays, you know, Gronk plays the, the role of caveman very well. <laughs> but if you've ever actually spent any time with Gronk, um, we like to say he's dumb like a fox. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's, he plays the role well, but that guy is actually very, he's a very intelligent guy. And, um, and you know, he plays the role of, like I said, caveman very well. Yeah, he does. It's funny because... Oh, are you guys, guys like you, guys like Ryan Clark, you make me jealous because, you know, I go into school and I'm like, all right, I'm going to Syracuse to get myself a journalism degree. And then you outdo it, right? Like you play, you have an entire career in football and then you come in into the broadcasting booth and you dominate, Mark. Like it's ridiculous. And to watch my friends like you and Ryan Clark succeed so well and to do such a great job at it is very impressive from my standpoint. So I wonder what was that? point where you were like this is the hard part that I've got to work on the most like what was that for you well I mean I've always been like I've always been um a student so you know I find it like I I think I've always had a very good um a, a very you know my ability to 
to recognize what I'm good at and what I'm not good at, and then to work on those things that I am not good at. Um, you know, you couldn't say anything about me as a player throughout my career that I was going to be 10 times more critical of myself on. So when I had somebody talk about my game and it not being um, as good as it needs to be, like you could say whatever you want, doesn't matter to me because you can't, you can't even come close to being as critical of me than, than I'll be. So, you know, I don't ever let, uh, there's an old saying that I adhere to. I don't let the opinion, uh, wolves don't let the opinion or wolves don't listen to the opinion of sheep. Right. Uh I just, I've always, I've always looked at that from, um, from the standpoint of, I I just don't really care what you think because I'm going to just be far more critical on, on, you know, myself. So, um, I was always good at understanding what I'm not good at and either staying away from that or working to being better at it. And even now, I mean, I spend a ton of time, um, watching film and looking at film, but I spent a ton of time of, of trying to look at the game, not through so much a player's eyes, but as a coach's eyes. And so like this off season, I spent probably over 70 hours um, with Mike Shanahan mm. going over game film and installation of game film, um, studying, you know, studying the game today um, and offenses and defenses and what offenses are trying to do and, and the issues that every different formation creates for the defense. And, and so really trying to look at the game from a more coach's perspective, because as a player, you watch the game through, and uh, I, I say it's watching the game through a straw hole. You tend to, to focus very myopically on the things that you know or the things that you did um, for a living. And to expand your vision to the entirety of the game and to see what other people's problems are. So I think great coaches understand not only what they're trying to accomplish but also the problems inherently on the defensive side of the ball and the problems that you face based upon, you know, here are, here's the play that we're trying to execute and here are the great things about this play, but here are the potential pitfalls. And, and to understand those things so that you get kind of everybody's issues and then you try to manage those issues to the best of your ability. And in my career, I think whether it was a football player or whether it's a broadcaster has been very much that way. I have understood my strengths. I've leaned on those as much as I can. I've also, more importantly, understood my weaknesses and I've tried to be better. And that's why I spent so much time going, okay, I get the game and I understand it. I know what I know really well. You know, I know the front seven and the offensive line. But let me get more into the coverage aspect of it. Let me get more into the routes and route combinations and what we're trying to do um, to exploit a defense or to exploit an offense in these situations. And, um, and that's been, it's been a fascinating process this off season. I I just feel like I've learned more in the last three months than I learned in the last, you know, 10 years because I was like, I got to get, I got to get better. So how am I going to get better? Go put some pads on Mark. (laughs) Uh, there, there's of, no chance. Hey, no chance of me putting any pads. <laughs> I trust. So me. we'll rule that one. Darn. Out. Okay. Uh, one of my yeah. favorite quotes from our sideline reporter Demarco Far is, uh, "Fans watch the ball, players watch the field." So 
it's cool that you guys are able to see all that from different angles. All right, Serena. Yeah. You know what time it is? I do. It's alliteration time. Yeah. Serena's <laughs> social segment. <laughs> First up, Jonathan Abrams in a sling. <laughs> Wearing a turtleneck on first take. Did you see that this morning Jonathan Abrams wore a turtleneck after, I believe he had a, he has a torn ligament, and a rotator cuff, and labrum. And I'm trying to figure out, Mark, really the problem is, how, how in the world did he wear a turtleneck on television this morning with a rotator cuff problem? Do you know, have you ever put on a turtleneck? That just seems problematic. It, yeah, that's I mean, but putting when you have a rotator cuff or a shoulder issue, putting on any shirt right. uh, is difficult. A turtleneck, though, seems to be <laughs> like it's like I don't know. Maybe that was part of his rehab. Like if I get this <laughs> turtleneck on, then I'm going to be better. But here's something I don't understand. Okay, and just go with me on this. Whether it's a turtleneck or a scarf, like I don't understand that whole concept. I have never one time been out in cold weather and thought to myself, man, is my neck freezing? I wish I had a turtleneck. No, it's like, man, my feet are, oh, I'm dying, or my fingers are freezing, right? I've never one time gone, oh my God, if I, you know, if I just had a turtleneck, then my neck wouldn't be so freaking cold. I've never ever once, and I grew up in Alaska, so I think I'm, I think I'm on pretty solid ground here. Your neck doesn't really get cold. So I think scarves and turtlenecks are garbage. I would like to chime in on this with a little bit of science to see how you feel about okay. it. So when yeah. you get a brain freeze Ooh. from like a uh-huh. milkshake or something, yeah. they say if you put your hand over the artery in your neck that runs between oh. your your chest and your head and mm-hmm. warm that up, you can r- alleviate what? the brain freeze. So I'm wondering if it's not your neck you're really protecting. It's like your head and, and just By wearing that. a turtleneck? Yeah, I don't you're know. You're making yeah, your head warm? It feels like a small uh, little child, like squeezing me just a little bit every time I wear a turtleneck. Like there's nothing comfortable right? it feels about like, it. No, it feels like my gag reflex is going to go to town on that. And by the way, you know what else they say about that? If you push your thumb up on the roof of your mouth when you get brain freeze, see, you know what this is? This is this is scientists that are like, I can't wait to watch how many stupid people start putting their hands on their arteries every time. They're probably a bunch of dudes at Dairy Freeze right now. They're like, how many guys can we get to put their dirty-ass thumb on the roof of their mouth and to see? Like, I think that's all. I think that's fake science is, is what you're getting Is that Sam Darnold there. got mono? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, all right. Yes. I, th- I like your explanation much better. <laughs> um, next yeah. up, we got some hotel hacks that popped up on Twitter that people are using with like putting a hanger uh, in between the blinds to make sure it's like completely blackout. Yeah. What, uh, you travel everywhere, right? You just came back from London. Uh-huh. Um, what's your, what's your go-to hotel hack? My got, go-to hotel hack. See, no. And I saw the hanger one and I thought to myself, that's pretty good because usually what I do is close the curtains and then push. Like there's usually like a, a, ottoman or something i push it against there to hold the curtains closed oh, yeah. you know so you don't get that one sliver of light but i it. saw the hanger right i saw the hanger hotel hat and i thought that that's really good um me personally i'm one of those guys that like you see a lot of people that will bring in like the the wipes and wipe down the remotes and all that kind of stuff they just keep down the germs you know we don't want to get sick i'm one of those believers in 
a certain amount of toxicity in your level strengthens you, you know? And so I just am like, I'm one of those guys that will pick, like I have literally walked through a hotel at late at night, checking in, I've had a late flight and I see somebody's leftover, like, like leftover food tray outside their door because they had room service that night. And I'll grab a muffin or a, a like a, a roll off there and I'll just eat it going on to my room. Cause I'm like, Oh my oh God, my great God. free food. So yeah, I don't buy into all that. Oh, germ stuff. No, not really. I don't, I don't buy any of that stuff. You had me in the first half. Right, I'm like, I'm leaving you. And then I saw a random story. muffin in the hallway. I was like, don't uh, right. let that go to waste. <laughs> right, right. You know, there's kids. But as my parents used to say, you know, there's kids in Europe that are starving. Totally. <laughs> I was and, like, I was and like, you will hey, not be one of them. <laughs> right, right. I was like, there's kids in America that are starving. You know, they're all over the place, right? I mean, why, why does it have to be Europe? And this muffin uh, so tastes anyhow. really good. Right. And this, this is a is great muffin. One, and this is one. Right. And I'm not a starving kid. So let's go. I'm, I like it. Oh, man. Okay. Well, uh, our last question we've asked every guest that comes on the podcast. If not for football, then what? What would you be doing if football did not exist? And for you, I realize this is harder because you played football and then now you're a football analyst. So if there was nothing right. to do, no football, no sports, what do you got? That's, that's a great, that's, I mean, it's a great question. I, like I always told people, well, I would have gone into coaching, but now that football doesn't exist is what you're saying. Yeah. I, took um, it out. I am. So I am an expert landscaper <laughs> and I love being in my yard. I spend, that's like, I don't have hobbies. I don't play golf very, you know, I'll do it occasionally, but it's not something that I'm passionate about. What I'm passionate about is being in my yard. That's a happy place and for you. So, Right, exactly. So um, I am what I would consider an expert landscaper, and I love physical labor. Um, I grew up just, I, I grew up, that's how I grew up. And I think it has a lot to do with just my, with my athletic career. I grew up working. I grew up, uh, you know, shoveling dirt, building horse fences and building barns and doing all, that's what I did as a kid growing up. And my dad would always tell me when I was a kid, hey, this is really going to help your football career, you know. And as a kid, you're always like, oh, my gosh, that's, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, right? But you Wax on, wax roll. off, Mark. Right. You, exactly. <laughs> and, and you know what was funny, though? When I, when I started playing at 12 years old, I instantly realized, oh, shoot, I'm a lot better than everybody else from an athletic standpoint. Like, I'm a lot stronger and faster and I'm tied together. And I really believe it wasn't because I was lifting weights. It was because I was constantly working as a kid, always. And I just had better overall. My body was more connected, you know, like from a, just a, an ability to do things. It was more connected because of all the shoveling, and all the work and all the log carrying and everything else that I did as a kid, cutting down trees and all that kind of crap, um, all the landscaping stuff that I did. And I love starting a project and working all day to its fruition. And then at the end of the day, sitting back and looking at it and go, wow, look what I accomplished today. And that gives me great joy. And so, you know, I would have, I'm a worker, so I would have always found something to do and I would always work. But um, a landscaping is a big uh, a thing that I love. I just think that we missed out on a whole team of football players back in the Renaissance in the medieval times. Well, Brian <laughs> Allen, when we called him to like to draft him, he was like, Our "Oh center. yeah, I just got done chopping some wood, building yeah. a fire." Makes sense. <laughs> right. all, those, all those guys we missed out on back in the day. Um, 
Mark, thank you so much for having us on the uh, having you on our podcast. That's it, our eleventh episode of Ramblin'. Appreciate you for coming on. And for those looking for more, make sure you check out the other Rams podcast, Rams Revealed with the voice of the Rams, JB Long. We will catch you next time. <laughs>